We're going to share food with them. And then we're going to engage in some reflection on the predicament of our society and our efforts to get along. And especially the predicament of our Muslim friends who live in a daily atmosphere of suspicion and distrust. There's a gentleman named Imam Kamil Mufti who organized this event. As a matter of fact, Imam Mufti spoke in this very pulpit about two years ago, I think. I know some of you heard him that day. And if you did, you know that he brought with him a very positive message of friendship and tolerance. Imam Mufti is a very well-educated man who knew about our Unitarian Universalist tradition. It was really quite amazing. There's something in UU history called the Edict of Toleration from uh, 1568, I believe, where the first declaration of religious freedom was signed by King John Sigismund of Transylvania, and he knew that. What an interesting thing. Some of you may also remember that he wrote an open letter to the public uh, distinguishing Islam from ISIL in very emphatic and clear language so that one could not possibly make any mistake about that. His letter appeared in the Community Word newspaper and also in our church uh, newsletter, The Builder, and in other sources. And he's had an open house at the mosque before, which a number of us attended, but this time he has really gone all out. So I hope you have seen some of the billboards around town, and one of the billboards has or actually two of the billboards have this picture on the billboard of this, might say, very good-looking group of people. <laughs> so you could take a look at that if you wish. And uh, this billboard is also being used to invite the whole city to this event. I want to say thank you, by the way, to Pat Hayes, who is the photographer of this picture and is a member of our church as well. Uh, there are also additional billboards now with, that do not have the picture, and there's one right over here on Sterling. If you leave our church and go over to Sterling and take a left, you will see that billboard in about a couple hundred feet, which just advertises this event tomorrow night. So take a look at that, too. There are 24 people in the photograph, 24 people from different faiths, including... Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, UU, Buddhist, pagan, black and white people, gay and straight people, clergy and lay people, and including faces you probably recognize because I believe that six of the people in this photograph are members of this church, members or friends of this church. So that's a very neat thing, too. 24 people who want to stand up in public, as we did, and support the rights of people to be who they are and to worship as they see fit without any fear of harassment or reprisal. That is not 
a huge request. That is a pretty, that's American, isn't it? That's an American value. So Imam Mufti has invited us to his mosque. I, I, you know, it's just the same story we just heard from Amy. It's the same story. He's invited us to his mosque and the mosque of his congregation for sharing food and for support, mutual support, and for inspiration. It's a, just a very, it's the simplest thing in the world. I invite you over, right? That's just the simplest thing in the world that happens. And yet, in this situation, it represents a complex web of symbolism because it's a highly charged kind of meeting. It's not free of risk, but it is full of hope. And so I'm very grateful to the Imam for taking this step, for making the move, you know, making the first move. Would you all like to come over to our house? Making that move. It is important for us to understand that in the United States of America, mosques are regularly targets of harassment. It's very, very common. It happens every day. When a new group even announces that they might want to build a mosque somewhere, there is often mobilization to keep them from doing that. There are people who will try to, to uh, keep them from being able to buy the land using some technicality or any way they can figure out to discourage Muslims from even buying land. And then if there's a mosque that's going to be built, there will be letters to the editor and organizers that will try to prevent that. There will be harassment of different kinds. We just had a, almost the weirdest story in the world in our vicinity of some homeowner having silhouettes in his yard. A silhouette of a man with a gun aiming at another silhouette, which is a figure clearly designed to be a Muslim with a turban on bowing down I guess hoping he's not going to get shot in the next 30 seconds. So this is strange, but this is actually the predicament of our country. It doesn't mean that everybody does that, of course not, but people do. People say they are concerned about property values, they're concerned about their safety, they're concerned about their neighborhood, Mosques are targets of vandalism and harassment of many different types. Imam Mufti said, and it was in the paper yesterday, that the kids who go to their Sunday school in their mosque are asked by other students in school when they are going to blow up the school. Our country has lofty and admirable ideals. We really do. And it can be inspiring to think about those ideals. And yet, we're not always that admirable when it comes to living them out. 
The framer of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, who by the way was identified himself as a Unitarian in his theology, he wrote those famous words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's the way he wrote it. This is one of the great statements of Western civilization, yet even in that statement you can see that there are problems. You can see even in this wonderful statement of equality, there's an inequality right in the statement. All men. Of course, Jefferson, like all of us, was a person of his time. But even looking past the issue of, of gender inequality that's in that statement, we also know that the Constitution that was created at that time held African Americans brought into slavery as three-fifths of a person. So even at the very beginning of this very idealistic, forward-looking democratic country, there were, there were serious problems, and we have not necessarily sparkled in the incarnation of our ideals. Inequality of various kinds has been our shadow side since the beginning. The disturbing practice of slavery, the genocidal wars with native people, these are deep flaws in the fabric of our history, from which we are perpetually trying to recover, I would say. It's fitting that the Liberty Bell enshrined in Philadelphia has a glaring crack running down its length. I love that picture. I think that picture is such a fine symbol because it symbolizes the hopes and the dreams of us to have this wonderful land where everyone is accepted and everyone can be who they are and there's freedom to speak and freedom to worship as you please, but there's that crack in the bell. So they're both true. We are an idealistic but deeply flawed project. And yet, we manage to move on slowly and painfully to create a more perfect union. We are on that path. We really are. Human rights and civil rights have been progressively extended to more and more people in our country as time goes on. Often, not without a fight of some kind, but our rights are far more universal than they were in 1776 for African Americans, for women, for Native Americans, for many immigrants, for LGBTQ people, and many religious groups. The trajectory of our story is in the direction of more rights for more that's the way it's moving. But it's hard work. And we're not there yet. In World War II, Japanese Americans were put into camps out of fear. An action that today we're not proud of. But in 2016, we also hear in the chaos of the presidential race, which some uh, Phyllis wrote a candle about, we hear all these things being said. We hear that Muslims maybe should be moved into camps for their own protection. 
And maybe we should close our borders to all Muslims until we figure out, according to that quote, what the hell we are doing. I would like us today, if you're not a Muslim, to try to put yourself, let us put ourselves in the role of a Muslim citizen who hears this kind of talk daily and then sees their own religious congregation harassed for trying to buy a piece of land and build a house of worship. Which, by the way, is exactly what we did 10 years ago. We bought a piece of land and built a house of worship. And I don't recall that we were ever harassed or that there was any organization of citizens groups that said that we were going to ruin the neighborhood or that we should not be permitted to do this. We just assumed everybody can do that. I mean, it never even occurred to us. Everybody can do this, right? This is not a problem. We assumed that we would be able to do that freely and openly. We are fortunate people that we don't have to worry about that. To be part of the non-harassed segment of the culture. But of course our Muslim neighbors have exactly the same rights that we do to build a house of worship. And we, if we are wise, and if we truly believe what we say we believe, we have a moral obligation to stand up for their rights as well as our own. For if freedom of religion can be taken away from Muslims, it can be taken away from us, too. I want to really state as clearly as I can that defending the right of another religion to exist is not equivalent to agreeing with that religion about everything they believe in. Those are two different things. So when we say that Catholics should have a right to exist, or Baptists, or Hindus, we're not saying that we think that everything they say is right. We're not saying that at all. We respect their right to say something different. What we're saying is they should be able to live in peace. They should not be attacked. They should not be harassed. Should not be have their property damaged in the middle of the night. It doesn't mean that we agree with everybody's theology. We don't even agree with everybody's theology in this church. What if we said everybody who disagrees has to leave the UU church? We would not have the biggest potluck ever, I'll tell you that. <laughs> we cannot wait to be friends with people until we agree with them about everything. That's too long a wait. That's way past our lifetimes. So I don't advise that we wait that long. We can say to people, you have a right to exist. You have a right to be who you are. This country was founded on the freedom of religion. That's one of the rock bottom things that we say 
that we're about. There will be disagreements between different religious groups. We know that. And there will be also points of intersection. This is the nature of religion in our world. And it's also the nature of non-religious dialogue as well. Respecting other faiths does not mean that we don't speak out on the things that are important to us. It doesn't mean that we don't say what we think is true or that we don't speak out for, for what we think is right. It doesn't mean that we diminish that voice at all. We still need to be there. One of the earliest Unitarians, Francis David, said, we need not think alike to love alike. We need not think alike to love alike. We don't need to believe the same things. What we need to do is to cooperate, to come together at crucial points of intersection, and to affirm that really all of us want peace on our streets and in our world, that we need to affirm the basic human rights of all people, that the huge problems of our time, like climate change, are going to need everybody working together to solve. It's going to take everybody. It's going to take the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the atheists and the theists and the religious people and the non-religious people. It's going to take everybody. And we're not, we don't have the luxury to get to the place where we all, dis, we all agree about God and heaven and eternity. We're, we don't have time to do that. Climate change is a perfect example. There's no time to settle all the theological questions on the planet and then do something about climate change. That, that won't work. The clock will run out on us very quickly on that path. Rumi, the Muslim Sufi poet, wrote, Come, come, whoever you are. Whoever you are. This is no caravan of despair. Everybody, get on board so we can go somewhere. This is not a Muslim idea. This is just human insight, human wisdom. It's a universal language, universal statement doesn't require any religion at all. It's just Chrissy inviting her friend over for tea. That's all it is. Even though she said she hated her a few minutes ago, she got over that. And boy, were they happier. All of the great religions touch these universal truths, these universal spots in our hearts and minds. All of them ring the bell of truth. All of them sing the songs of welcoming. And yet, as we all know, the religions have done horrible things as well. And we can't ignore that fact. That's a reality too. And whenever any people threaten the peace of everyone, we need to stop them from doing that. No matter who it is. We don't even have to ask them what their religion is. We just need to stop them from doing that. Historically, non-religious people in general have not done any better in preventing violence than religious people. It's about the same if you study the history. 
At least as far as I can see, personally, violence is a complex problem of human nature. It's not something primarily produced by religion. Although I know some people disagree with that, and that would be fine. We don't have to wait until we agree about that to work together. In renouncing violent groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIL, we are on exactly the same page with Imam Mufti. We are right in the same spot he is. He probably feels it much more intensely than we do because he's really on the hot spot. And we're in the same spot with the vast majority of Muslims. We're in agreement about these groups and we need each other in our struggle for peace. We need to work together on this. We really do. That's the best shot. There is a story about a character named Mullah Nasruddin, who is a Muslim folk character. He's kind of a fool, actually, kind of a wise fool. You might have heard some of the stories about him before. In one story, Mullah Nasruddin meets a very pious young monk who's very religious and very spiritual. And the monk says, I have reached such a high level of detachment from myself, so much that I only think of others. I never think of myself. And Nasruddin answers, I have reached even a more advanced state. And the monk requires, how so? And Nasruddin replies, when I look at another person, I look at them as if they were me. And so I see myself as well. This is another one of those age-old human truths. This is called loving our neighbor as ourself. Or it's called compassion. This is the way Rumi sees the world as well. We're so intimately connected together that we are all part of one reality. And that is inescapable. There's no way to get out of that, even if we wanted to. When we separate that reality and see some people as worthwhile and other people as not worthwhile, then we tear the fabric of the universe and we bring war and suffering upon ourselves. How much wiser to see the other as ourself, sometimes expressed as loving our neighbor, the great law of compassion. The more nearly we live together in that reality, the more joyful life will be. The more we'll be able to live in peace, the more all the children will be able to grow up happy and healthy and be trusting and not fearful. So, when somebody invites us to join with them in whatever language they may speak, in the banquet of life, the best counsel I can offer 
is that we graciously accept the invitation.